the expression of the holidays and Christmas and all of that. We talk about the baby Jesus and the manger and all these things that the children, that was, wasn't that just wonderful this morning watching them? I was thinking yesterday, uh, I, I don't want to embarrass uh, Zuma, but our, our Gabriel said uh, uh, at practice uh, that today in the city of Davis, uh, Christ the Lord is born. And he's, he's from the Bay Area, so it's appropriate that he might say the city of Davis. That that was just, it was so awesome. And they corrected him, and I was like, leave him alone. I love that. It's just, it's just I, all of these memories that, that uh, being together and being what, what it means to be the family of God and experiencing all of these things together is just wonderful uh, to enjoy uh, the presence of the Lord. But I, I just want to share some things with you. I want to talk to you about the purpose for which Jesus came. Now, last week when, when we were uh, talking, we talked a little bit about Mary, and I, I talked to you about uh, what happens in life whenever the thing that we believe that God has promised us or that he has said to us doesn't exactly look like uh, what we had in our mind. How many have ever had that happen to you? you? You believe that God has spoken something to you or that he's working something out in your life, and at the end of the day, when it all works out, it doesn't look anything like you thought. Well, that was exactly the experience that Mary had. And I, and I began to look at all of the scriptures concerning uh, the, the prophecies concerning Jesus that were given in the New Testament, and do you know that the majority of those scriptures were given uh, about his eternal reign? In Luke, when, when, he spoke to the she- when the angel came and spoke to the shepherds, he said, don't be afraid, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Doesn't sound like anything like a crucifixion to me. There's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, seeing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. All of that prophetic expression had everything to do with Jesus in his experience being brought into his majesty and his glory and seated at the right hand of God as he is today. Nothing that they expressed gave any rise to the understanding of his earthly life and what he would go through as a rabbi and as a teacher and uh, as he traveled the earth and, and wandered from city to city and touched lives in the magnificent ways that he did. None of that expression. In Luke 1, uh, chapter 1 and verse 30, when the angel's talking to Mary, he says, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God and you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you'll call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. So her understanding was that she was bringing forth a child that would be seated on the throne. Again, the expression that she received was the father seeing the completed work. When God speaks into our life, he speaks the completed work. And we need to understand that it's extremely important. Those of you that follow Jesus passionately and have zeal toward him and understand, you need to understand that when God speaks to you, he will give you a picture of what he wants to accomplish in the fullness of time. But he will not 
spell out for you everything that is between the time that he speaks to you and the time that that expression or, or that word from him is fulfilled in your life. It's important to understand that. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, when the angel uh, is, is ministering to Joseph in a dream, he, he, the scripture says that while Joseph thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She'll bring forth uh, a son, and you call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. There's just an expression of the completed work. No talk about the journey. Just this is what I'd like to accomplish. I submit to you today that the Lord, as you sit here with us, is speaking to your heart about the things he would like to accomplish in you. And you need to take hold of that in faith. I know as we were worshiping, I, I just continually heard the Lord reminding me that we are in a relationship with him and what he wants to accomplish in you is a relationship. Sometimes when the busyness of life is going on and, and, and t- longer time than, than really needs to uh, go between uh, seasons of prayer and seasons of intimacy with the Lord, how many have ever gotten so busy and you've like, oh wow, the day is gone and I, I didn't get to spend the time with the Lord that I'd like to spend today. How many have ever got to the end of the week and you've thought, wow, the week is gone and I haven't spent the kind of time with the Lord that I should have spent this week. Well, that's just the nature of life. It happens to your pastor too sometimes. And when we get in those seasons, the enemy wants to come and say, oh, God's mad at you. Well, there's some folks here in this room this morning. You've spent an entire year you haven't had a conversation with the Lord. Or the conversations you've had with him have been in times of crisis or times of difficulty, and you've been, oh, God, help me in this moment. And he helps you through that season and you walk past that and and then the next conversation you have with him is a help me in this moment conversation. But the Lord is calling you to a relationship with him. Wonderful thing about relationships is that you sit down and you have conversation when nothing is needed. You have this wonderful conversation with him when nothing is needed. Lord, I just just want to chat with you. and do you know that, well, I keep saying this, and I, maybe I need to say it again, uh, because there was, a, there was a pastor one time who was preaching, and he got up and he just preached the same message week after week, and somebody finally came to him and said, why do you keep preaching on that scripture? And he said, I'll stop preaching on that scripture when you get it. Well, that's this kind of thing. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll stop saying this when we really get, it, really get our head around the fact that God wants to spend time with you and talk to you far more than you want to talk to him. He created you because he wants to have a relationship with you. He thinks you're really cool. He thinks you are important enough to die for. Which brings us to the other side of the real, to the real reason that he came. In Isaiah chapter 53, I don't want to turn there. That's a long chapter. I'm just going to tell you to go and to read that chapter. I don't know that Mary went back and read that. I don't even know if Mary could read. The likelihood in the culture that she was in, 
men were educated and, and the ladies typically were not. Uh, and um, I don't know that she could have read Isaiah if she had had an opportunity to look there. But the entire chapter, Isaiah chapter 53, there is this great prophetic expression about the reason that he came. And it talks about the crucifixion. It talks about the Savior giving his life for you. It talks about uh, the reason that he came. And you happen to be the reason. We are the reason. Isaiah 53 says, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was wounded. You, you ought to change that. You ought to put your name in there and say, he, he was wounded for my transgression. He was wounded because I had no access to him. Because the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. He was wounded for my transgression. He was wounded for my wrongdoing. He was wounded for my sin. He was bruised, the scripture says, for our iniquities. Sin is something that you do by practice. Iniquity is something that just becomes a part of who you are and, and it becomes a part of your nature and a part of your character to the point that you no longer even recognize that it is there. You know those, you, you've been around unhappy people who are just unhappy all the time and they don't even know they're unhappy. They're just, they're just live in a, a sense of bitter frustration and hurt and injury all the time and, and you get around them and sometimes they bite. That's iniquity. They've, got, they've gotten so, it's become so ingrained in who they are that they no longer even recognize that there's problem. They don't need you to point it out unless the Holy Spirit helps you to do that. Just be patient and love on them. Maybe you need to point it out. You ask God about it, he'll tell you. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Do you, do you hear the verbiage here? He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He came so you could have peace. Do you know anybody who's living their life right now with no peace? Constant fear and anxiety and frustration. That when they lay their head down at night, they're thinking, Wait, did I lock the door? Am I even safe in my own house? You know how many times my kids have got up and said, Dad, you didn't even lock the door last night. You know why? Not that I shouldn't. I should. There's peace. There's no fear. There's no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace. He was chastised so you could have peace. You say, well, man, the world that we're living in is a mess. How could anybody be at peace? My father was this great man. Of, of, uh, he was great peace. I, I don't even know how to express, uh, how, how to appropriately articulate to you this, this wonderful relationship with, that he had with Jesus and this ability that he had to worry about nothing. 
six kids, no money to speak of really. I remember a very difficult time in their life. There was a period of time in their life when in about a year and a half, there was, there was a major crisis where there was an accident. My brother was, was driving in an accident. That young woman was, was killed in the accident. And then the house during that period of time had caught on fire and the stove had burned. And, the, uh, and during that same period of time, the washer and dryer went out and the freezer broke. And you know, all, all of those, it was like every appliance decided to leave at the same time. And they were driving a borrowed car because theirs was broken. And then my brother was in this accident. And, and, uh, and here we were. It, it was like my mother said, if one more thing happens, I don't know what I'm going to do. My father, go sit in his chair, lay his head back, snore a little bit. My mom would say, how does he do it? But there was this great peace in his life. This ability in Christ to trust that this season, that whatever the season was supposed to look like, it was going to pass and we were going to get on to the next season and that God was going to address all those things that were outside of his ability to address as a father and as a husband and as a provider, that he was going to do the best that he could do and the rest was up to Jesus. I remember conversations. I remember growing up this way and hearing. I remember one time in particular that a, a bill collector called and uh, something tied to the car, I don't know, and, and he was telling, uh, he, he was, my mom was saying, they're going to come and get the car, and he said, let them. If they want it that bad, let them. And she said, we need that car. He said, there's always another one. And she said, what do you want me to say to them? He said, tell them that I am working diligently and I will pay the bill. But if they really want to come, come and get the car, I'm not losing a moment's sleep over it. And I heard her on the phone. My husband just said, he will pay for the car. But if you really want to come and get it, come and get it. And they're immediately like, oh ma'am, we don't want your car. We really want the, you know, we want the money. And do you know... He was a man of integrity. He paid the bill. They never come and got the car. Why, why would you wring your hands over things you cannot change? When, he was, when the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Jesus said to the disciples as he was leaving, my peace I give you. I'm leaving my peace with you. Because I don't believe that, that Jesus looked down through time and saw a people that follow him that were wringing their hands with worry. I don't believe it was his intention for people to fret and fear. You can if you want to, but I just choose not to because of Jesus. When, let, let's, let me talk to you just about a couple of things that Jesus said about himself. We have this wonderful picture into his life, things he said of himself. He read from the book of Isaiah, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The gospel, what, what does gospel mean? Gospel means good news. 
What do you suppose good news to the poor is? Provision, blessing. If you're sitting in this room this morning and you are struggling in economic realities that that are less than desirable, I want to tell you that Jesus came with good news to the poor. And the good news to you today is keep walking with Jesus. He's going to lead you right out of that place that you're in. He's going to bring you to a place of provision. He's going to, as you learn to trust him, he's going to bring you to a place. A year from now, your circumstances, if you'll continue to walk with Jesus, will not look like they do today. Six months from now, the circumstances that you were in will have changed, and Jesus will have ordered your steps and move you to a place of provision if you will trust him. If you will trust him and learn to follow him. The decision that we must make is that we must follow him. So he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Wow, that's good news. Do you know how many people during holiday season live in such brokenness and frustration? What an opportunity to be healed of a broken heart. In this wonderful season, I would uh, desire for you that you would look back on Christmas 2015 and say that is the year that he healed my broken heart. That I'm no longer broken. Do do I remember every bad thing that happened or all the difficulties that caused that season of brokenness or that place of brokenness in my life? Sure, I remember. But I've forgiven, I've put it all behind me, and I've allowed the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to heal my broken heart. That's why he came, he came for you. Every, everything that he said was directed to you. Thank you, Lord. To me. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. I think there's probably, in, in this many people in a room, there's some individuals who, sit, who are sitting here and you are being held captive to an experience that is behind you. And that captivity to that experience or that way of thinking that that experience produced is keeping you from the abundance that is in Jesus ahead of you. He came to proclaim liberty to you. Don't be held captive. Don't be held captive by fear. Don't be held captive by bitterness. Don't be held captive by frustration. Don't be held captive by addiction. Don't be held captive. When you can be completely free because of Jesus. He said, the spirit of of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring recovery of sight to the blind. I mean, understand that that's not just physical blindness, although that's vitally important. If you're blind, you really want, the, you want to know that the Lord can bring healing to your blindness. But how many understand that there's a great many people on the earth who've never met Jesus, who've maybe heard his name and not understood the purpose for which he came, and they need to be freed from that blindness, that shadow that is over their understanding that releases them to know who God is and releases him to understand that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Then he says, 
he came to set at liberty those who were oppressed. Those. Anybody, anybody ever just feel down? You don't know why. You can't put your finger on it. You just feel down. You ever meet anybody that's just down all the time? They're oppressed. They deal with emotional heaviness and depression and frustration all the time. There's no reason they can't put their finger on it. They can't, they can't tell you why they feel that way. They think that's their nature. You know what? Jesus came to give them a new nature. Jesus, if, you, if that's you, he came to give you a new nature. I'm having so much fun going to heaven, there's no time to be down about it. Besides that, I don't like grumpy believers anyway. I love people who love Jesus. I don't like grumpy people who love Jesus. I'd rather hang around somebody who don't know Jesus than hang around with somebody who's grumpy that does. If you know some of those, introduce them to joy. Say to them in the name of the Lord, it's time to laugh again. It's time to be joyful. We are serving the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth. And you're grumpy? Uh Uh-uh. Jesus said, when, when uh, in Luke, there's a story of uh, Zacchaeus and, and uh, Jesus was invited to his house and he was not highly respected in the community. And everyone who was anyone looked at Jesus and said, what's he doing hanging out with that guy? He hangs out with low life. That's what they said. He hangs out with low life. Hangs out with sinners. He hangs out with people who are not righteous. And he claims to be righteous. And Jesus said, people who are well don't need a physician. I didn't come for people who don't need anything. I came to hang out with people who needed me. Let me just speak to those of you that are in the room this morning that are believers. You need to be hanging out with somebody who needs what you have. You need to not be the kind of Christian who is afraid that the world is going to rub off on you. You need to be a strong enough believer that you rub off on the world around you. The world is a dark place in our current experience. And if you're watching the news, that'll depress you. Stop that. Don't live out of that. Live out of the promises of God. But light, Jesus said we are, we are the light of the world. We are, we are light in the earth. Light dispels darkness. I have yet to have darkness overtake light. So just get in a dark place and shine with the love of Jesus. And be like Jesus. So he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came for those who had need of me. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and, and verse 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. 
I'm going to show you in just a minute how that comes out in a very practical way. He made you the righteousness of God. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. If you've received Jesus, God looks at you and he says, oh, blood of Jesus, you're righteous. He, didn't, he, he doesn't come along and, th- listen, the, de- the devil loves to play with your head. He wants to tell you, you don't deserve this. You know what I tell him when he says, you don't deserve this? That's right. But that changes nothing because I'm righteous. I'm not righteous because I'm good enough. I'm not righteous because I get it right every time. I'm not righteous because I have a good attitude all the time. In fact, I don't. But I'm righteous because Jesus said, would you receive the work of the cross? Would you receive my gift of salvation? Would you receive the blood of the lamb uh, applied to your sin? And I said, yes. And you know what God says? End of discussion. End of discussion. It's done. Oh, somebody needs to say, it's done. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. He just gave himself. Did you know? How many, how, how many, I understand, you know when you are given a gift, it's not something you ask for. Now, some of y'all are like, this is what I want for Christmas, and not this is it. I, don't, I want this. But Jesus did not come and say, do you want me to give my life for you? Jesus didn't come and say, uh, is it all right with you if I do this for you? He came and he made the sacrifice, and then he says to you, would you receive it? Here's the gift. It always amazes me I mean, I'm not a real quick study, particularly, but it always amazes me when there is a f- the free gift of eternal life, salvation, and provision and relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords, creator of the universe, and somebody will say, oh, no, thank you. Blows my mind. Makes no sense to me whatsoever, but that's just me. Because he doesn't want to force you to be in a relationship with him. In fact, he won't force you to be in a relationship with him. He just welcomes you if you will. I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. And then I want to play a song for you. In just a minute, guys. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 says this. God, listen to this, Listen to these words. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sin against them, but canceling them. I just read to you the reason that he came. In a nutshell... 
God was in Christ. The moment that that baby appeared in the manger, the moment that Mary conceived, in fact, previous to that, in the mind of God, because he knew that that day was coming, it was already settled in his mind to welcome you into the kingdom of God. God was in Christ. All of the things that you read in Scripture that went on in the life of Jesus as he traveled the earth and opened blind eyes and healed lepers and changed uh, the the course of of people's life, all of those things that were happening as he called disciples and and as he led uh, those that followed him and and fed the 5,000 and and so on and so on. All of the things that you read, God was in Christ. It was as though he were painting a beautiful picture so you and I could grasp that we were welcomed in and reconciled to God. Now listen to what he says. This, the, it gives you his assignment. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sin against them, but canceling them. He was canceling sin. Jesus came to cancel sin. If you kneel at the manger, if you uh, look at all of the images of, of the Christmas season and you miss that, you missed the reason. And then he says, the apostle said, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, that is, restoration to favor with God. So we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, right now, God is making an appeal to you through me. God made an appeal to you through some children this morning. God made an appeal to you through some musical presentations this morning. He is making an appeal to you right now. He's saying, come and walk with me. He's making his appeal through us as Christ's representatives, pleading with you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Christ who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God, that we would be made acceptable to him and placed in right relationship with him by his gracious loving kindness. 